We, we give so much power. And I'm not saying that you're opening your heart and your soul to the devil. I'm just saying like, oh, the devil did this, the devil did this, the devil's behind this. And my thing has always been like, did you stop believing in God? Because the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in you, which is God, than he that is out in the world. The battle between good and evil was won at the cross. Everything after the cross is merely us learning to be better followers of Jesus so that we could be a walking, living billboard for others who would see us to say, like, that's the God that I want to know. Like our life, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to live a life as an offering to God. You see, you've already been saved. You who have accepted Jesus, like you have already been saved. The punishment for your sins has already been paid. And you now get to live in this eternal relationship with God that begins now and will ultimately extend for all eternity. The Bible is clear when Jesus talks, especially in the book of Matthew, where he uses the illustration that Jesus is going to return to earth like a thief in the night, which I always found kind of like, why would you use that, Jesus? But I understand. Like, I don't want to be scared. (laughs) But the analogy is this. You don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't know. We wish it was right now. But we don't know. But here's the message that Jesus teaches us in, that mess, in, the, in Matthew, is that you must be about your father's business while you wait. To be truly ready, to be truly ready for the return of Jesus is that you are so busy living and serving others, living in relationship with God and serving others that when Jesus comes, we long and we look forward to it, but we're not going to know because you're going to be so busy about your father's work that you, you won't even know when Jesus is coming. The idea is no one knows, so to be ready is to live a life that is lived as an offering to Christ and a life that is lived in service to others. You see, so when we talk about spiritual warfare, it's real. I don't think it's being fought out in the universe somewhere, but the spiritual warfare that's happening is happening within us. And there is, and and it's subtle. And it's one of those things where it's like the devil doesn't need us to like swear our undying loyalty to him. All he needs is for us to begin to doubt in the goodness and mercy of God. But, the, but the, the awesome thing about Scripture, and Jesus says this, like, if you're in my hands, no one will ever snatch you out. Like, if, if you are a part of my sheep, you will always be protected. You will always be kept safe. Like, you will have the assurance and the seal of salvation, and you don't have to worry. The Bible even tells us that there is this passage, and I, can't, I, can't, I think it's in Romans. It's terrible. I think it's in Romans. <laughs> Where it says that the devil will try to deceive God's people, but you cannot be deceived if you're in the fold of God. And so there is the spiritual warfare, but a lot of it is much more subtle, where the devil is just trying to take your attention away from God, but God is much stronger. And I think I misspoke because I said that the battle was won at the cross, but if we're really honest, the battle was really won even before creation began. Because God was always going to win in the end. 
And as a people of God, it is our call, it is our invitation for us to enter into this eternal life-giving relationship with God because God will then carry you through even the darkest moments in your life. You know, when you're a kid, you often feel the safest in the presence of your mom or your dad. I remember being, I remember I, I wasn't a kid. I mean, I was a kid, but I remember this one story. We went to Universal Studios. I was probably in high school, and one of my nephews was there. And I remember we were going through one of these rides. I think it was him. Like, now the story's getting foggy, but I'm pretty sure it was him. My parents were there, which makes the story kind of weird because my parents don't usually go to amusement parks. But we were all there, and he was so scared that all he would do is bury his head into my mother's, like, bosom. Because somehow we cling to the thing that makes us feel the most safe. As a people of God, you can cling to God even in the most darkest and dire circumstances of your life and know that even though some difficult things will happen in your life, God will always get you through. But when we're talking about spiritual warfare and it happening within us, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I don't understand my own actions. Let's see if you can relate to some of this. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't do what I want to do, and I often do the things that I hate. And so what this is telling us is that in Paul's writing, there is always this juxtaposition between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is anytime you give in to your sinful desire. It doesn't actually mean your physical flesh. But it's more of a metaphor for our internal proclivity towards living a selfish, sinful life. And for Paul, he says, there's always this tension between wanting to give in to your flesh or wanting to live by the Spirit. And so there's always this thing. And so for Paul, he says, like, I'm going to sin, and I often sin, but yet God's power and grace and goodness still saves me and forgives me. And there was a lot of people that didn't like Paul in his days because he was preaching this radical message of grace. And they didn't like him because they're like, Paul, like you're telling people they don't have to do certain things the way we've been saying, and we have a problem with that. And Paul was like a bull in a china shop, and he's like, I don't care. God has called me to preach this message. And one of the things that we love about Paul's writing, 13 books in the New Testament, is that for him, it was always about drawing people closer to the risen Christ. And so what we find in Paul, he says, look, spiritual warfare is real. And it, and it becomes evident in your life when you do the things that you know you shouldn't be doing. The very things that you have purposed in your life, you say, I'm not going to do that. And then you do that again and again and again. And that is the power of darkness that is pulling you towards, the, pulling you away from the very presence of God. But to live in the spirit over the flesh is to walk not by sight, but by faith. You know, it's easy for us. It's it's easy for us to just want to follow rules, right? I want to just follow the Ten Commandments. I want to follow all the the things in Leviticus, which is impossible. I want to follow everything Jesus tells us. It's easier for us because then we know. But, you know, to live by the Spirit is just a 100% surrender and asking God to lead. And they're not mutually exclusive. I think that when we surrender to the Spirit, God leads us to follow those essence, the, the laws that create the essence of who we are, of course. God is always calling us to obedience. 
A relationship with God is always going to draw us towards living a life that gives honor and glory to God in everything we do. It's Paul's writing that says that whether you eat or drink or do anything at all, you must do it all for what? The glory of God. To live then in the Spirit is to live doing everything that gives glory and honor to God. But the devil tries to wring his way into us and tries to pull us away from doing the things that honor God the most. John 1, chapter 4 tells us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now think about that for one second. John could have used any words. He could have said, God is greater than the devil. He could have said that, but he chose not to. He intentionally uses the words that the one who is in you He's building on what we've already learned about how God works and how Jesus is. The Bible tells us that Jesus makes his home within where? Our hearts. Jesus is pleased to dwell within our hearts. And so John says, Jesus who is in you is stronger than he that is in the world. So it's not just the powers of darkness, but it's the enemies that we have in our lives. It's all of those circumstances in our lives that we think they're just going to defeat us. Right, Jesus is greater than the illness, than the disease. Jesus is greater than the financial woes that you have. Jesus is greater than the relationship issues that you're facing. Like Jesus is greater than all those things. But so many times we give in to those external things and allow those things to begin to shape our faith. But John tells us it is Jesus who is in you that is far, far greater And so many times we give so much power to the devil and to the darkness when the whole time we should be keeping our eyes on Christ and saying, there is this darkness, but I will keep my eye on the light. You know, it's like this analogy of the tunnel. If you're in a tunnel and it's dark all around you, but at the very end you can see light, you're going to walk towards that light. And you're not going to take your eyes off that light because you know that when you get there, you'll be able to come out of this darkness. And it's the same thing with our life of faith is we must keep our eyes on the light of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go to the, the armor of God. I don't think I've ever preached on the armor of God. And every year when I'm working on sermon series and I'm looking at what the God is leading us you know, for the next 12 months, I always tell myself, oh, I want, to do, I want to do a whole sermon series on the armor of God. But since the time together has run out, I felt that I could do very best I could on doing it in one kind of 30-minute segment. And so Ephesians chapter 6, and before we get into that, the book of Ephesians is, is Paul's way of teaching believers, the people of God, how to live. And I can't go through the whole book, but it begins with, You know, Ephesians chapter 1 begins that every spiritual good blessing comes from the Father. It tells us that you as believers were predestined to be in the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tells us that it is by grace that you are saved and it is not by any work that comes by your hand so that you cannot boast about your goodness, but it is the free gift of God that has given you salvation. When I was 17 years old, I came across that. You've heard this story before. And I dedicated my life because God was inviting me to share that message. That it is by the grace of God that we are saved. 
There is no greater message, there is no better message to preach that it is through the grace of God that he has invited you into this eternal relationship with him. As we talked about last week, creation, God ends the work of creation on the sixth day, which is the first day of humans, and then the Sabbath comes because you are the object of God's affection. God creates all of this so that he could enter into a relationship with you. And then God takes the most heavy burden of sin and the punishment of sin, and he lifts that from our shoulders. He lifts that from this existential future punishment, and he takes that away. He takes it on himself, and he says, now you don't have to do the heavy lifting. You get to inherit the eternal life that I have purchased for you. You know, never more have I, has that really hit home to me as I now have a daughter of my own, and, and, and if you don't have children or you couldn't have children, like I, I, I'll try to be sensitive to this because I know that not everyone, um, was able, not everyone is able to have children. But you know, there's just something about having this little human that even when it's two in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, to be fair, Kara takes care of those hours, but like, <laughs> at first it was both of us. But like even just like those little things of like, like here's the thing. If I as a fallen human being, saved by grace, but fallen nonetheless, my whole world and reality, there is never a moment or second in my life that I don't picture my daughter in my mind. There's just, there's just, it doesn't exist. Everything revolves around her. Yes, we still have to do all the other things that normal human beings have to do and responsible adults and go to work and all that, but there is nothing that takes my attention away from her. Is it hard sometimes? Kara's not in here. Yeah, it's hard sometimes, right? Like, But it's not hard in a bad way. It's just like sometimes it's just like we're going to be present and sometimes we have to do other things. But like especially when they cry is when it's hard. But like every, every breathing moment of my life centers my thoughts on her. Now if I can love someone that much, can you imagine how our perfect God can love you? Do you think that he then is going to purposely like just throw you out to the wolves of darkness and say, okay, have your way with them? No, like God is always at the work of trying to protect, trying to care for you. We know bad things happen because there is evil in the world. Sometimes bad things happen because there is evil in the world, period. But God is always in the work of restoring, reconciling, redeeming, helping, mending, filling us. And so if we as parents can love a child so much, can you imagine how much God loves you? God creates the entire sum of existence so that God can enter into relationship with you. Think about that for a second. God creates you to live this life and to enter into relationship with him. And the problem that happens, and this is where spiritual warfare happens, that's real subtle. It's like, yeah, yeah, God, thanks for grace. (laughs) Thanks for your love. I'll see you on Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, God, like, I, God, you know what I'm already thinking. I, I don't have to pray right now. I don't really have to. Hey, God, I already know the Bible stories. I'll just bring them to memory. I don't have to spend time in the text. Right? Like, that's what we do. Like, we give so much of our attention and our joy and our thing to these external things, which, 
Like sometimes they're not bad things, but like all of our attention is going outward when sometimes God is just like, and, and probably I'll learn this lesson as my daughter gets older. <laughs> but like God's like, okay, like I'm gonna be patient with you. Like I love you. The seal of salvation is on you. Like I'm just gonna be patient and I'm gonna wait because that's what love does. Love doesn't force itself on us. Love is patient, kind, and it waits. And so sometimes when it feels like darkness wins, remember that light and the power of God always conquers the darkness. And so when we look at Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians is about how do we as Christian and as a people of God live in this world. It tells us this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Like the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't even tell you to be strong on your own, but the Bible tells us that you are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his strength, which is a Bible way of saying is like acknowledge that God is all powerful, all sovereign, ever present, and just put your trust in the fact that God is powerful and is able to do even the impossible things in your life that you don't think can be fixed. Like that thing that is, you has all of your attention 24-7, that thing that you just feel like is never going to be resolved, God has the power over that thing in your life. And all Ephesians is saying is put your trust in that God. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the wily schemes of the devil. For our struggle, listen to this, is not against our enemies of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. By the way, heavenly places doesn't mean that they're up in heaven. It's just the Bible way of saying like that's happening all around us. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you will be able to withstand on that evil day. Again, this is not an eschatological future day, but on that evil day is just like every day. And having done everything to, and having done everything, stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. And we know that the truth is the gospel truth. Because there is going to be so many times where we're not going to want to believe that what Jesus actually did is, a, is enough to be able to forgive of even your darkest sins. We've done that. Right? If I were to, and I'm not going to ask this question, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if Jesus came today, would you be saved? I would have a sense that half of you would raise your hand and half of you would not. And if I went on to have a conversation with those of you who would say, like, I don't know, I'm just going to find out when that day happens, it's because we have a tendency to give more of our attention to the sins that we've committed than to the redeeming love of God on the cross. In the belt of truth is the belt that tells us that the gospel truth is true whether you believe it or not and you put your faith in your trust. Like faith is believing that what God said and what God did is true and is enough. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, by the way, if you were to go into your Bible software, you could see that a lot of this is also coming from Isaiah 
And in Isaiah, the armor of God is not on people, but it is on God. So think about that, right? Like, like think about like this has been a message that for hundreds and thousands of years, the Israelites and our Jewish brothers and sisters have been preaching, and now it's passed on to us, and it is saying this armor of God is something that comes from God and is given to you. The breastplate of righteousness is that we put on the righteousness of God. It's not that we are righteous on our own, but we are only righteous because it comes from God. Verse 15, as for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Which is another way of saying is you go wherever God is leading and you are always ready to share your faith and your testimony. You put your shoes as for shoes, you put on your feet whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Think about that for a second. Take on faith because the devil will always try to dissuade you from believing in what God has said. Like, think about that. Your faith is what will keep the evil one from trying to distract you. It's so easy for us to focus on all these other things, but if we focus on Christ, it will always make us go through. Verse 17, And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. So when it talks about the helmet of salvation, it is the salvation that is given to you, the head, the mind, the understanding, like all of your thoughts, salvation is given to that. And the sword of the Spirit, the the Bible tells us, is the word of God. And many commentators would say that more specifically, it is the gospel of Christ that it's talking about when it tells you the sword of the Spirit. And as you continue to go, the way of the warrior, of the spiritual warrior, is to be in prayer at all times. You see, the armor of God is about the orientation that, you get, that your life takes as you live in this day. Is it going to be, and remember, the, the first century Christians, they were literally persecuted, right? They literally saw Roman soldiers coming with actual battle, like, gear. And Paul says, fine, they can have, right, their horses, they can have their weapons, they can have their armor, so what? Like, you have the armor of God, and the armor of God is far stronger than any of those things. So I want to finish with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The very last verse in that pericope that we always like to quote on the love chapter. It says, now faith, hope, and love remain. Faith, hope and love when we look at your life as you're moving forward as a disciple of Jesus as a follower of Christ we know that spiritual warfare is just a normal part of life but God has given you every single weapon to help you to get through that and at the end of the day it is faith you walk by faith not by sight you maintain hope in the one who is coming who has come who will come again and hope in the one who will help you every single moment of your life and love. Do we love God and do we love each other? You see, God has given us everything we possibly need to get through the darkest moments in our lives. 
More importantly, God is the one who gets us through that. It is the armor. It is, it is another way of thinking. It is God's superpower that he gives us to be able to accomplish and conquer any darkness in this world because God wants this eternal relationship with you. And God is inviting you into that every moment of every day, not just on Saturday mornings, not just when you read your Bible, but God is asking you to enter into his presence every moment of every day. And that continual prayer is that continual awareness, that continual opening up to the fact that God is leading you and and, and guiding you and is present to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who has thought of everything You're a God whose grace outweighs even our greatest moments here in this life. Father, we worship you and we stand in awe of you because we know that for you to to be who you are and teach us what you've taught us, we know that you are a God whose, whose love knows no bounds. So as we continue to live our lives, may we learn to put on your armor, your truth. May we be ready to share our faith and that we would be faithful to everything you ask us to do. In your name we pray. Amen.